Great. Um, I, I want to uh, take a moment to speak about something slightly different and outside of our current preaching series this evening. If you want to hear the, the kind of the full version of this talk, it's on our website, and uh, uh, I give lots of illustrations and examples of the thing I want to talk about tonight on there, if you're interested. But I fundamentally want to um, look at a question that's been on my mind for a while, and that's a question that kind of pops in and out of my mind from time to time, is the world changes from one degree of bonkersness to another. And that question is simply this, what is truth? That's the big question I want to try and unpack in the next five to ten minutes. And uh, I specifically want to ask that question in the context of a world that just won't stop lying, that just won't stop making up the truth by itself, where everybody is encouraged to just be true to yourself or just do you. Or as uh, Oprah Winfrey recently said, when she um, accepted an award, at the high point of her acceptance speech, she went, the only thing that matters is your truth. Not the truth, your truth. And uh, a lot of this Western thought comes from and is shaped by kind of lots of Greek philosophy, uh, particularly a philosopher called Protagoras, who said that, uh, here we go, I'll read that on the screen as well, whatever is true for you is true, and whatever is true for me is true. Um, Protagoras was regarded as the father of relativism. Relativism is um, the concept that truth isn't absolute. It's relative to yourself and your own experience. You kind of make it up. And the problem, of course, is that we don't, if we don't have an external objective measure of what truth is, then we'll just make it all up ourselves. We identify and live in whatever way seems right to us, because that's my truth, and who are you to disagree? And the problem here is that if my truth is different to your truth, without any external objective standards, then who's right? What happens when my truth, as Oprah puts it, clashes with and disagrees with your truth, or more to the point, her truth? The only way through when that happens, when we have a clash of worldviews based on different interpretations of the truth, is that we either go to war or we cancel each other out and ignore each other, as is often the case nowadays with the rise of what's known as cancel culture. And the ob other obvious problem with an uh, inability to sort fact from fiction is the ideas that are pervasive and come at us from every direction, social media, TV, friends, whoever else, anything that someone can cook up, those ideas, the ideas that even we tell ourselves and the thoughts we give ourselves, can start to shape us and form our entire thought life. And we start to believe, well, things would be better if, or I would be stronger if, or I'd be more adored if. We just start to relativize what is actually true and make it about us. The example I gave this morning, which um, is fairly remarkable, really, is the Washington Post, which admittedly is a left-leaning newspaper, calculated that in his first year of presidential office, Donald Trump didn't not just defend the truth, which is the job of the president, he actually publicly made 2,140 misleading claims. That's 5.9 lies a day. Fake news. And it challenges the foundations of what it means 
for us to know truth. These kind of constant drip feed fake news statements that we hear all over the place, which leave us asking, what actually is the truth then? What do I believe? How should I live? And the scriptural example I want to just highlight this evening is um, from the book of John, uh, chapter 18, where we actually see this kind of conversation played out between Pontius Pilate, who was the governor, the Roman governor in Jerusalem at the time, and Jesus. And at, the point, at this point, Jesus has been thrust before Pontius Pilate by the Jewish religious leaders, and they've said, you need to put this man to death. And Pilate's got a real problem here, because what's actually going on behind the scenes is they want him put to death because they think he's a blasphemer. How dare you say you're the son of God? But they're not allowed to kill him. Only the Roman states can execute someone. And so Pilate has to try and work out, well, has this guy broken any laws? And of course he hasn't. And so we see this really tragic but interesting conversation played out between Jesus and Pilate at the moment of trial. So you'll see it up on the screen together. John 18, verse 29. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Pilate said, well, then take him yourself and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, well, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus replied, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. So you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. And there you have it. There's the question that Pilate just doesn't have an answer to. He has no objective standard for what truth is. And so he kind of goes, what is truth? And a few hours later, Jesus is dying on the cross. The failure to see truth in this situation, and I would argue always, means that death and disorder are never far behind. And the challenge, of course, for us is that we're called to be a people of truth, recognizing it, living it out, witnessing it to the world. It's the basis of our togetherness and a significant part of our daily walk with Christ that we coalesce around the truth that in spite of our background and differences, I mean, just look around the room. We're all completely different. We're going to be celebrating 20-odd nationalities at Taste the Nations. We're very different people from very different backgrounds, very different biographies and stories. But what we can agree on is the truth that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is alive. And that therefore there is an objective standard by which we can assess what is true and walk in that way. Here's some of the things that Jesus himself said about that subject. Pilate asks, what is truth? A few hours earlier, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, and he says to the Father about us, his disciples, Father, sanctify, cleanse them by your truth. Your word is truth. Pilate asks, what is truth? In John 14, verse 6, Jesus tells his disciples, I 
and the way and the truth and the life. If you want to know truth, look to Jesus and everything he says and does. Pilate asks, what is truth? In Revelation 19, we see this picture of Jesus in victory, and he's waging war against the powers of hell. He's defeating Satan and death fully. He's wearing many crowns because he's totally victorious over every empire, and the armies of heaven are riding behind him. And in verse 11, John says this. He says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is faithful and true. Capital letters, faithful and true. That's his name. How do we know and experience and share in his victory? John 8, verse 31 to 32, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's what's on offer. When you come to Christ, his truth will set you free. Jesus is the truth and every word that proceeds from his mouth. And we're called to recognize that and proclaim that and to live to that standard. And it's tricky in a world that just makes it all up for itself. So I'm just going to take a few minutes to give you five kind of paradigms, if you like, to help with this, to take into the week and to apply. These are kind of either or statements, if you like. Hopefully it's implicit in the statement which direction to go. But I think the first thing I'd say to you, if you want to recognize truth in a world of lies, choose prayer rather than ideology. Ideas aren't inherently bad. Don't get me wrong, that's not what I'm saying. But bad ideas are bad, and they are bad for us. And the reality is the, the front line of this battle is here. It's in the mind. There's a battle that exists in the mind between what we tell ourselves will make us complete and what God tells us will. Our thought life really is the front line of this battle for the truth. Over 40 times in Scripture, in the New Testament, the writers tell us, be careful that you're not deceived. And oftentimes, the warning is not to be deceived by a fine-sounding argument like the ones we sometimes tell ourselves or the ones that are thrust at us. You'll be happier if, you'll be richer if, you'll be more powerful if, you'll be adored if. The antidote to all that stuff is a rich prayer life because when we pray, we seek the truth of God. We speak truths in line with his word and we recognize that the highest authority in our lives lives outside of ourselves and therefore we're shaped when we pray by prayer. If you don't know where to start, just pick one of the prayers that you see in the Bible. There's so many of them from cover to cover. Wonderful examples in Scripture of prayer just to start to get you going, give you a model for conversation and relationship with God. The second thing is I encourage you to follow Scripture, not Protagoras. Protagoras tells us to create our own truth. And we've seen where that has got us. Scripture, the word of God, is unbreakable and infallible, and it covers every single part of life. It is the standard of truth. Jesus himself said that man does not live by bread alone, not the things that the earth cooks up and provides, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is the standard by which we measure every other pseudo-truth. Want to know how to think about law or 
law and order or politics or sexuality or race relations or finance. It's all in here. We talk about this stuff all the time. It's all in here. And the best three words of advice I can give you today is read your Bible. Third thing, restraint, not hedonism. I said this morning that in the front of my Bible, years and years ago, I wrote in big black letters the word restraint. I copied it from a man called John Wimber. And uh, that was a brilliant life example to me. And I've done that because I have to remind myself that I'm not in this to satisfy me. When I come to God's word, I'm not in this to make me Lord of my life and to do so at the expense of others. And that requires me to constantly keep a watch on what would very easily become unrestrained desires to do so. We Christians live for the other. We live for the other person and we live for God. Fourth thing, choose community over isolation. Someone once said fairly obviously that if a coal rolls away from a fire, it'll very quickly go out. We need one another to do this stuff. Don't be the coal that rolls out of the fire. To remind each other of truth, to speak the gospel truth back into each other's lives, and to cheerlead one another back home to Christ. Self-reliance is harmful, and it always asks the question, what do I need? Rather than, what is God's will for my life? There really is no quicker way to slip into the deceit of the world than to isolate yourself from the community of truth. Because one of the ways that we discern the mind of God is here amongst his people, talking to people of truth who know one another. And the final thing, this should be blazingly obvious by now, choose Christ over self. I think I've made this point already, but you are really not the sum of what is real, and neither is your personal experience. There really is no such thing as my truth or your truth. There really is only the truth. That's not to say that your personal experience isn't valid. We are flesh and blood creatures and we feel things and painful things happen to us. All I'm going to say about this as I encourage you this evening to keep your eyes fixed on God and his truth is this quote from Dane Ortland, which I think is brilliant. Dane Ortland, who's a pastor in America, said, your suffering doesn't define you. His does. That's the truth. It's not what you do. It's what's been done for you that matters. That's the truth that we hold to. It's all about Jesus. He's the Lord of truth, and in him are the words of eternal life. Brothers and sisters, my prayer is that you will know life in all its freedom in Christ. He's the only way, the only truth, and the only life. As you look to him daily, invite him to take his place on the throne of your life. And then you will know him. And then you will know truth. And the truth will set you free. Let's, uh, let's pray. Why don't you stand with me? The band will come back and then we'll um, keep worshiping again. Oh, Lord. Thank you so much for saving us and rescuing us from ourselves as much as anything else. Thank you so much that in a world where it's so easy for us to just make up the truth or receive truth that isn't truth, pseudo-truth, that we have in you the standard 
by which to measure every thought and attitude and opinion and question whether it's in line with your words, your character, and your purposes in the world. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you just rush through here this evening? Would you shift around uh, aspects of heart and mind so that we, your people, can learn to have laser vision on what is right and truthful and separate out the fiction of the world that we might recognize you, live for you, live by your word, and stand on the truth. Ask us in Jesus' name. Amen.